Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting across the world to about 65 countries from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment, the fun capital of the world. Now, as you know, salt that you put on food is an essential ingredient in most kitchens everywhere. And now there's a Bluetooth-equipped salt shaker that contains multiple sensory devices to entertain more than just your taste buds. You can use this salt shaker, which is called Smalt, dreadful name, to stream music. You can change mood lighting. And um, coincidentally, you can actually even use it to salt your food. The advanced salt shaker can also connect with Amazon Echo. So Alexa can take care of any of your other needs like making a phone call, check sports scores, or whatever you want to do. Now, the company's launching Smalt on the crowdfunding site Indiegogo next month, with shipping dates estimated around November or December. Wow. Just the perfect gift for Christmas. Boy, if I gave Smalt to my wife for Christmas, it would probably take me three months to get over a serious injury to some part of my body. But, so my my betting is that it'll be a novelty for five minutes and then it'll disappear, but I wish them luck. It's a cute thinking, if nothing else. Now, last week in a commencement speech at Arizona State University, um, Howard Schultz, who's the billionaire Starbucks chairman and an absolute genius having built the company up, um, he, uh, he said that where you come from does not determine where you'll end up in life. I couldn't agree more. I, um, I've always said that there's only three ways to be successful in this world. One's hard work, the second one's hard work, the third one's hard work. And uh, so many people say to me, oh, you know, I didn't get the breaks or, you know, some lousy excuse for the fact that they didn't get off their ass and do something. Um, so I thought this presentation by Schultz was really interesting. He discussed the hardships that he endured growing up in public housing in Brooklyn, New York. So if you're living out there in a poor suburb, um, don't complain, get out and do something. He told the audience of more than 30,000 that when he was a child, his parents, both high school dropouts, struggled to pay their $96 a month rent while they were working blue-collar jobs. Um, In March 1960, he came home from school to find his father lying on the couch with a cast from his hip to his ankle after being injured on the job. He was an army vet and a truck driver with no workers' compensation, no severance and no health insurance. So at seven years old, Schultz had a defining moment in his life. He saw his parents go through helplessness, hopelessness, despair, and he said he still carries those scars and the shame with him even today. He said that his mother taught him that a good education and hard work will open the doors to a better life. Hear, hear. This belief, coupled with his fortitude and perseverance, Led him to build one of the most valuable and respected brands in the world today. Starbucks has got 26 
thousand stores in 75 countries and employs more than 300,000 people. Now, he's got to be living proof that the American dream is alive and well. He's got a current net worth of about $3 billion. And this is the important part. He's a, he's a give-back kind of guy. You know, from day one, he wanted to build the kind of company his father never got a chance to work for. Starbucks is a company that honours and respects the dignity of work and the dignity of all the men and women that work there. And over 30 years ago, he decided to provide all Starbucks employees, even those who work part-time, with comprehensive health insurance. Now, as we know, health insurance in America is a major problem. Um, so he's been giving his staff health insurance for 30 years. So you can, it just shows you, you can give your staff health insurance and be successful um, and not all gloom and doom as many corporations try to um, try to convey. In 2014, he launched a groundbreaking program offering tuition reimbursement to Starbucks employees also known as partners who want to earn a bachelor's degree through Arizona State University. Not more than 9,300 partners, including part-time workers, have enrolled in the Starbucks College Achievement Plan. And last week, another 330 graduated. And Schultz believes that uh, success in business and in life is best when it's shared. He also believes your station in life does not define you. You know, we're all masters of our own destiny. And, um, you know, if you don't work hard, you're not going to succeed. In my view, the majority of people who complain about how the world has done badly by them and who don't succeed simply don't try hard enough and don't persist. You know, I was brought up, um, eight of us lived in one room in a very poor suburb in Melbourne, Australia. And uh, I made it out because from the time I was about six or seven, I wanted to get the hell out of there and be successful. And uh, I'm living proof that you can, you can actually do it if you want to. Hey, stop what you're doing. Listen up. This is a very important message for every business. You know, that there's few ways that you can make more money in business. One's to put up prices. <clears throat> One's to... Um, manufacture more stuff, get a better um, cost control. But the most important thing is setting your prices correctly. You know, that extra few cents, that extra dollar or so on a price can make a huge difference to your profit margin. So a friend of mine, Per Sofas, has a company, Atenga, A-T-E-N-G-A.com, that um, comes into your company, looks at all your prices, sets your prices so that you can bring the maximum amount of money out of the marketplace without losing any business. <clears throat> and he has turned around literally hundreds of companies. <clears throat> so go to atenga.com, A-T-E-N-G-A.com, and download a free ebook called Seven Easy Steps to Successfully Increasing Prices. It's a quick read. And it might be the most profitable thing you've done all day. So, um, and Per says that if you hire a tenger to look at your prices, uh, you'll get your money back in about four weeks. So in 52 weeks, you will make a bigger profit for 48 weeks. And uh, that's got to be a great investment. 
So Atenga, A-T-E-N-G-A.com. Now, do you get my 30-second read business newsletter every day? We now have about 1.7 million daily subscribers. And I invite you to go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enrol for the daily newsletter. It takes just 30 seconds, sometimes 60 seconds to read, and I'll keep you up to date with all of the business news that's important. You know, every day we tackle a different subject from advances in medicine to new apps to new technology to subjects like Hyperloop, autonomous cars and blockchain. They're all subjects you should know if you're going to survive in this new global revolution. The newsletter is free and its, in, it's uh, information is invaluable. So get on to bobpritchard.com and get my daily newsletter. I get letters from all over the world, emails from all over the world every day about people saying how great the information is. So um, join them. Give it a go. If you don't like it, you can always unsubscribe. Did you think that um, Alexa, Cortana, Siri, Echo and Home – were intended to remove the reliance on screens? Well, I did. But think again. Amazon unveiled the Echo Show last Tuesday, which is a $229 US smart speaker powered by the Alexa Virtual Assistant, and it's got a 7-inch touchscreen. Now, the Echo Show is primarily controlled by voice, letting you ask simple questions, setting timers, controlling lights, doing all that stuff. But its wow feature is voice and video chatting. It's uh, fantastic for controlling music, checking weather, and the age of your favourite actor during a TV program without having to look away from whatever you're doing. The Echo Show is um, Amazon's very steady advance to conquer every room in your home and to dominate the next iteration of the smartphone. They, they are, their planning is unbelievable. Remember, you might remember that in 2014, the original Echo was pitched as a lounge room smart speaker for Amazon Prime Music. And it could also help you buy stuff on Amazon. And it has now progressed to be the center of the digital home. So then Amazon started expanding the applications of Alexa the battery-powered Echo Tap, remember, opened it up for use wherever there wasn't a power outlet, and the hundred and the fifty-dollar Echo Dot lets you plug Alexa into your lounge room existing speaker system, or simply use it as a cheap way to get in on the whole Alexa phenomenon. In April came the launch of Echo Look, the first Echo with a camera sold as an artificially artificial intelligence-powered personal fashion photographer that can even judge your outfit. And Alexa has even migrated to the bedroom. Amazon Fire's TV devices put Alexa right in your TV anywhere in your home. And with partnership with third-party companies like Ford and GE, Alexa will be built into a host of other applications, meaning Alexa in the car and just about everywhere else. The reason your smartphone is so great is because it combines the camera, G G GPS sensors, a touch screen, um, audio outputs, all in something that fits into the palm of your hand. Now, Alexa's doing the same thing. Every new Alexa gadget is another new sensor. An individual Echo is a handy gadget. Multiple Alexa 
devices are a fully-fledged new system, adding a layer of intelligence right across your home. But it's a little creepy because now you've got microphones everywhere. You remember back to 2004 when camera phones created such a privacy panic. Well, now it's 100 times worse with microphones everywhere. The Echo Show integrates with smart home computers like the Ring or the Arlo, meaning you can call up your security system with your voice. And if you, say, set a reminder from your bedroom, you can view your agenda on the Echo Show in the kitchen or any other room in the house. It's one big complimentary system. You know, it's not very much of a stretch to see Amazon getting into the home security business on its own. It's a way to build out the ways Alexa takes in information and outputs it back to the user. In other words, I guess Alexa is Amazon's own operating system. Now, when Amazon totally missed the boat on smartphones, now ubiquitous voice systems like Alexa can conquer the next phase of computing and Amazon's betting that it can win before most other players are even in the game. They just seem to be so far out in front. They're, um, they're doing extraordinary stuff, Amazon. You know, when it was opened in December, the first Amazon Go grocery store whipped up excitement because it was sensory-based, no staff, a few computers, simply scan your phone upon entry and the items you carry out are charged to your account. Now, sensor technology is about to disrupt the fashion world. Rebecca Minkoff is expanding the brand's checkout system, which utilises a radio frequency identification system that automatically deactivates security tags after the shopper pays automatically and electronically at its stores. Smarter product company Everything has teamed up with fashion laver Rochambeau on a bomber jacket that's equipped with near-field communication, and these tags are automatically scanned at New York galleries, restaurants, bars, public transport, etc., and unlock certain perks. Now, these tags are in your jacket, so you don't have to do anything. Don't have to pull out a card or produce your ID or whatever. Now, this is giving clothing a digital life of its own, and um, Minkoff's goal is to use sensors to gain access to cool places without having to go through doorman. Well, that's all very good. And maybe, it, you know, it could work with sporting events. It could work with everything. You know, you could buy a ticket to Super Bowl and get a cap that has a, a um, chip in it that enables you to just walk straight into the Super Bowl. You wouldn't want to lose it, of course. Now, today's guest on the show is enterprise and big data expert Lloyd Marino, a super guy, and he's the CEO of Aveda Global, and he's worked with companies like Expedia, Visa, and the US government to create big data solutions. Lloyd's regarded as a tech whisperer, a true master of translating and communicating Byzantine technical processes that elude even the savviest business minds into language that they can grasp. He makes the very difficult simple to understand. And I'll speak with Lloyd immediately after this short break on the Voice America Business Network. 
Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show, where we give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most interesting business people, the services that they provide, and we try to work out what it is that makes them tick. Now, it's extremely difficult to create a successful business. You know, we look at the failure rates of something around 97%. So it's obvious that um, we entrepreneurs and business people need all the help we can get. And that's why I urge you every week to ensure that you've got terrific mentors and uh, to read as much as you can and to watch as many business programs as you can to... uh, and take on board the advice that works for you, that, that fits your environment. Now, we hear the term big data everywhere these days. It appears to be the solution to a myriad of problems in almost every industry. It's been around for a fair while, and on the surface, it seems simple enough. Collect as much data as you can from as many people as possible. Analyse it and collate it, and presto, it produces the most effective and efficient solution to any any problem. Easy. Well, to obtain a simple solution, the application is extremely complex. Big data is being used by cities. And these are the ones we can understand to determine traffic routes, public transport schedules, how to get 100,000 people away from a a major sporting event, for those sorts of things. But how does small business or even medium-sized business use big data? Now, my guest today is enterprise and big data expert Lloyd Marino. He's the CEO of Aveta Capital, Capital, Aveta Global, who is one, he's a hell of a great guy. He's a fellow Metal member, and he's worked with companies like Expedia, Visa, and the US government to create big data solutions. Lloyd is regarded as a tech whisperer, a true master at translating and communicating Byzantine technical processes that elude even the savviest business minds into language that they can grasp. 
Now, Lloyd's equally conversant in the languages of business and technology. Therefore, senior executives on both the management and the tech sides of today's data-dependent marketplace regularly call on him to solve problems, complex problems that are data-driven. Lloyd brings to the table a quarter century of experience working in senior management roles, including services chief technology officer and chief information officer for various organisations ranging from emerging growth startups to Fortune 500 companies. Hi, mate. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Hey, Bob. Great to be here. You don't look that old. So how did you get a quarter of a century of um, this high-level experience behind you? Started I've when you were doing, three. Yeah. <laughs> I, I literally, this is uh, what I've been doing my entire life. I've been in technology my entire career, um, starting when I was about 17 when I started my first company. And then shortly thereafter, um, worked my way up into the corporate world and uh, found my way into travel technologies at the at the ripe age of about 22. Right. Um, I'm, I'm, I just turned 47, so... Oh, did you? You don't look that old, I've got to tell you. So you're doing well. Now... I appreciate it. How did you... Um, what took you into into that into the technology area? Because, you know, 25 years ago, it wasn't the um, hot, hip, happening <laughs> thing that it is now, was it? That's true. Um, I actually grew up in South Florida in the Boca Raton area. Um, my father was a he was a senior staff engineer at Motorola, and so I've always been you know quite involved in engineering. But um, growing up in that area, IBM and Motorola both had big presence there, and so um, I actually uh, got into technology because of my father. You know, he would check out computers, kind of like library books. Uh, right. He was an engineer. And uh, while he was away at work, I was at home fiddling around with these um, wonderful machines and um, just had a knack for it and I've uh, been doing it ever since. It was uh, Sure, it was close to Mo- Motorola and IBM, but it's also not that far away from the beach. <laughs> so, <laughs> Very so, true. So you're, a, you're a, a studious kind of guy rather than a, a surfer kind of guy. I'm actually a little bit of both. Oh, so, you're good. Um, it's yeah. work, work-life balance is critical. Okay, you talk about the five biggest questions that every CEO needs to know before diving into big data. Um, let's talk about the first question that a CEO needs to know, I guess. What type of data do they need to collect? I know that depends on, on what the company... Um, does, but um, how does the CEO qualify what information he needs? Right now, we can find out every single thing almost about everybody. So if if you've got a, a company doing a specific thing, how do you determine which information is beneficial to collect and which is just going to clog up the system? Yeah, and that really depends on what purpose the CEO has in order to drive the business forward. So Typically, what you see in a, in a small to medium-sized business is they want to use social data to drive marketing efforts, right? right. They want to collect a, a bunch of social media information about an individual to figure out what their buying habits are. Now, for a small to medium-sized business, that could be a very expensive proposition, uh, and therefore, you, you really need to have a purpose. What are you going to do with that data once you collect it? You've got to have a game plan. 
Right. Um, so uh, you know that's that's kind of the biggest takeaway from from you know, that particular topic is as a CEO, if you're going to embark on collecting big data or or drive the business using big data, you've got to have a purpose for that information, especially if it's around marketing and social media. You know, is it you know in some cases what you find out, you know, you got to be careful with for careful of what you wish for. Sometimes what CEOs find out is that their products that are on the market aren't very well received, you know, in, in the social world. And so, you, again, you've got to have a purpose. Well, that, that's still great information because it enables you to at least take action and do something about it, right? So, um, right. And, until you gather the information, um, is it possible to sort of detail what it is that's going to be of benefit to you if you don't really know what's out there? Well, again, if you have a purpose, then you have an, an actual um, you know, path on what on which, to, on which to take in order to gather the information that you, you need to get to that purpose. So like you mentioned earlier, all that information is pretty much readily available on the Internet. In fact, what you're starting to see uh, are companies creating data sets about individuals. Here are a block of individuals that like coffee. You know, we've got a data set of 50 million. Here's a data set of individuals who like this particular widget. And, and you're starting to see these data sets become readily available. So they're out there. Um, but if you don't have a purpose for them, then they really mean nothing to you. Right. So uh, the second question um, is, I guess, can you monetize the results that you get from this big data? But I guess the second question is, do you always have to monetize it? I mean, and, and is monetizing it a short-term proposition or is it benefits that will accrue to the company over a long term? Or is it all of the above? It's a little bit of, of both. Um, I, I always tell an organization, a small and medium-sized business, if you're going to embark on big, big data, I think, this is a personal opinion, I think the best way to do that is look internally first. Collect data about your organization, about how your own business practices are happening. Look internally first. Uh, a lot of the times what you'll see is an organization that has, for example, uh, an IT staff that says, hey, God, boss, we need, to, we need to get on the big data bandwagon. We need to start doing all this stuff. Um, and you're selfishly saying that because IT departments, you know, just be honest, they want to better their resumes. They want to work on the latest and greatest gadgets. Yeah. And they wind, up, they wind up forcing an organization to potentially spend money unnecessarily on technologies that they wouldn't necessarily need. Again, it goes back to having a purpose. So if you had a purpose to actually drive that big data, and for example, looking internally, are our processes and procedures streamlined? Are we looking at things... Uh, in the right manner is is our current way of doing things uh, a modern way of doing things? Are we using the right tools? And what you find what what business leaders find out by looking internally first is they they find out that their ecosystem is potentially either not very streamlined or worst case scenario just broken. Um, right. You know, there's there's always a process from beginning to end and. If there's something off in the middle, even just a little bit, you can have yourself a, a bit of a problem. Is that, how, how does that, I'm, I'm just 
struggling with this a bit. How does that qualify for big data? I mean, 25 years ago, we marketers would do a sort of an audit of the business and look at um, look at every element of the of the company from the front door to the back door and work out what was working and what wasn't and what needed better technology and what didn't and where the gaps were in in um, your staff and etc etc. Why is why is it different now than it was then, or is it the same with a different name? It's the same with a different name. I mean, I, I think if you look at the word big data in general, it's it's kind of, uh, it's very misleading. Yeah. So there are not a lot of companies out there that have big data, contrary to popular belief. Um, big data is, uh, you're talking about massive amounts of information that, that use specialized equipment and specialized software to crunch numbers. Yes. And a lot of, a lot of companies say, oh, we're doing big data, we're doing big data. You're not doing big data. You have a lot of data but you're not doing big data. Um, so if you're really thinking in terms of small business to medium-sized business, what you're really talking about is analytics. You're not talking about big data. You're talking about relational databases. You're talking about a way of, of understanding the numbers that you actually do have. Right. And internally, internally now, nowadays, you have CRM systems, you have ERP systems, even small companies. So they, they do collect a fair amount of data that they can internalize and, and analyze. And so that's what I mean by, you know, those processes, you know, finding gaps, as you put it, um, gap analysis, and for me, look, looking at the word analysis, um, that, that kind of lends itself to analyzing data. Um, and so when you look internally and look at your process and procedures and look at how sales is doing your job all the way down the manufacturing, there's a lot of information that you can crunch there. And there are a lot of gaps you could potentially find in order to, to clean up your ecosystem. Okay, I've been working with a, um, a group out of South America that um, is using big data. Um, they're, they're an insurance group and they pull all this information in and determine um, people's um, um, socioeconomic groups, their ages, what they're buying, what they're not buying, what insurance coverage they might need and what they what they don't, then it, it's analysed and um, it sort of spits out that Mary Smith um, fits this pattern and she's likely to buy a Rolex watch. <laughs> Probably not that likely to buy a Rolex watch in Latin America, but nevertheless. Um, and then they use um, location-based marketing to determine um, where they're shopping and to drive them to buy certain things. And then they can um, text them and say, you know, is, have you got your watch insured? Um, if not, push here. Um, it... it is that isn't that that that's what I imagine to be the typical use of big data to identify people's buying patterns, their their travelling patterns, how often they go to the local mall, what's in the local mall, and how do you drive them to buy a particular thing? Is that not the the yeah. most likely application of big data? It's definitely um, the most popular. Uh, area of big data when it comes to to uh, educating the marketplace. Um, right. 
you know, there's a lot of big data happening. And you mentioned it kind of on the forefront of this is in, in government, for example, uh, yeah. weather pattern, traffic patterns. You know, those, those are real big data applications. Um, it's not to say that marketing or advertising side of it is not uh, real, but um, it, it's a, it, in my mind, there's a, there's a difference. There's applications for big data that, that tackle real world problems. And then there's applications for big data that, um, basically, you and I volunteer. We are the actual product. So we're Google's product because we're collecting tons of information about our behavior. Right. We're, the insurance com- we're the insurance company's potential product because they're collecting a lot of information about our behavior. And, and you and I opt into that. We freely give that information in order to get something back. Um, but you're right. That is, you know, that is kind of the most popular big data application. And a lot of this target marketing or this, you know, this, uh, you know, this location-based marketing is getting really, really complex, yeah. um, and getting very, getting very popular. And this is this is you know opening the door to the Internet of Things, the I, you know, the IoT as you start yeah. saying. Yeah. So if if I'm a um, a medium-sized business and I want to use big data in that way, would I set up my own internal? Um, Processes, or would I simply hire companies that do all of that from woe to go, and have the technology and continue updating the technology, etc.? Uh, typically, you would want to outsource it. You want a cloud basis because the computing power needed to actually do real big data um, is quite hefty, and so you get you get better economies of scale if you went to the cloud and. and Bought your services from someone like an AWS, an Amazon sure. Web Services, yep. or Microsoft Azure platform. Um, yeah, but typically, a, a small, medium-sized business, I, I always recommend that if they're going to embark on collecting information and big data, start small. Um, you know, look at demographics or sociographic you know, um, information. You know, start collecting small data sets about behavior. Again, because this goes back to the idea of introducing that into your ecosystem and getting your, your employees um, kind of used to the concept of, of, of realizing the information that they're getting and being able to take action on it. So there's three A's of big data in my opinion. You, know, you got to analyze it, you got to yep. automate it, and you have to take action on it. Yep. Okay, that makes sense. So, again, I have a a, a confusion in my mind, and you know, it, when you talk about big data, um, you're recommending that um, companies start small. Is isn't that a contradiction? I mean, if you're going out there to get information, or are you talking about doing that through segmenting the market so that you're only getting a lot of data about a small part of your overall business, or what do you mean by start small? Start small with big data seems to me to be a contradiction because you're getting this wealth of information pouring in. Um, and I guess the, the lead-on question from that is if I've got all this information coming in and I've got somebody else doing it and uh, they're doing the analytics, does it, does it really matter whether I start small or go the whole hog apart from the financial aspect? Yeah, I think it does. Um, again, you want to kind of evolve your big data uh, department, if you will. So if you had a data scientist on board in your organization or you outsource it, 
Um, the resulting information that you gather, so let's say, you know, when I say start small, I, I said demographics. Collect demographic information about your customer base. Well, if your customer base is a million people, um, it's, a, it's a fairly large data set on one particular category. Yeah. And so once you, once you figure that out and you take action on it, now you know what to do with it. So, for example, um, you may find out that the, most of your customers are located in a very small demographic. Maybe they're all in West Texas, for example, right. or a good portion of them. Well, that just gave you a result. Now, now you realize that a lot of your efforts either have to be concentrated in West Texas to keep your customer base, or you, you can figure out from there, you know what? Why, why is West Texas the biggest customer base? Well, it's because we have a sales st- staff there that really is kicking butt. Um, so maybe we need to take our efforts in our other locations and, and double them up or learn from what's been happening in West. So once you have that resulting data set, now you can do something with it. So you go to the next step. And this is what I mean uh, you know, by taking action. And you just keep repeating that process. So you do demographics. Then maybe the next step is you look at a different market. You, you target uh, a different audience of people. You figure out what the resulting set is from there, and then you keep the process going. And then ultimately, you have what is um, you know, real-time big data information. How, how often does um, big data turn up um, totally surprising results that, that catch companies off, um, off guard that they find out information that they um, about their business that they had never realized quite often especially um, in, if you do an internal kind of analytics exercise um, a lot of the time business leaders find out that their their staff um, isn't as automated as they thought they were. So processes and procedures are happening quite manually as opposed to in an automated fashion. So uh, what, what typically happens is they get their, their inner workings or their inner ecosystem more automated and more reliant on, on the automation of data. And then externally, um, you know, I'll give you an example. One of our clients is a advertising firm and I don't know if you ever walk down the city streets of New York um, or even here in Los Angeles and you see construction sites that are just plastered with posters. Yep. And, and so, you know, typically, and the thought is, and here's the bottom of the barrel, you know, an advertising company has money left over and they say, well, we want our, our product on the streets. Let's, let's pay for this. And what, what people think is happening is that, you know, people are walking by looking at these posters and then they start collecting data on who's actually looking through a technology. We called it Izon. It's a camera technology that actually can see who's looking at these posters. Right. And what happened is in certain, certain areas, nobody's looking at these posters. And that was very surprising to this, to this advertising company that, you know, people are just simply walking by and, and not, you know, not realizing there's advertising there. Mm. So it's very surprising. Now, had they made that, that, that information public um, to their customers, they wouldn't really have a customer base. So, you know, it, it caused them to kind of pivot and, and to look at other areas of revenue and or and as well make make uh, the, uh, the constituents who are walking by 
a little more apt to look at the advertising that's going on. So of course you do sound and do lights and do other things that, that make things more compelling for the individuals who walk yeah. by to look. That's interesting because advertising agencies for years have kept kept secret the fact that nobody watches their bloody television ads. So I don't know why they'd want right. people looking at their posters. Um, so if I reckon if I went to 90% of my clients are all um, small to medium-sized businesses and if I went along to 99% of my clients and said um, you should begin to take advantage of the big data opportunities that are out there. I reckon 99 out of every 100 would look at me and say, well, what do I do? Where do I start? How do I go about it? I know absolutely nothing about this. Um, so what do you tell them? What's the answer to that question? Uh, well, this is why companies hire hire us. But, yeah, um, well, is that what they need to do? They need to look for um, somebody like yourself or yourself to um, to go in and do it all for them. Yeah, I think it helps. Um, I think it helps to have someone in the industry who can tell you what's available to you. Um, but you know, if you're savvy enough and and you know, to be quite candid, a lot of business leaders are really focused on sales. They're focused on, on financials. Um, there's this huge gap. Uh, I actually wrote a book about bridging the gap between business leaders and, and technology folks. There is this kind of huge gap where the business leader kind of puts his hand out and says, look, I don't understand that stuff. I don't understand technology. I don't know what a server is. I don't, I don't care. I just want it to work. And that's a really short-sighted approach, in my opinion. And of course, I'm biased. You know, I'm I'm in technology, so. But you know, doing this as many years as I have, I've noticed that um, most business leaders are still kind of hands-off when it comes to the technology stuff, and they really rely on their IT staff or or the most savvy technical person in the organization to make those decisions. And and in our in today's economic society, you just simply can't do that anymore. You're the business leader. You need to understand this stuff because it is your job to drive your business forward. Um, so to educate yourself on what big data is, on what information is available to you, it behooves you uh, and your organization. Um, but to get to the answer to the question, it, it, it really is start small when it comes to, to looking at big data. Um, and it's kind of the wrapping everything we've talked about together. It's, it's, it's have a purpose for it. What are you going to do with it? Start small so that you can, you know, grow methodically about collecting information and understand what it is you're collecting. And again, just take action on it. Use it over and over and over and automate as much as possible so that you don't have a lot of manual intervention involved. I, um, the CEO of a, any business, no matter whether it's small or, or large, has a very complicated path to walk, don't they? They've got um, dozens and dozens of dis- different disciplines that they have to be across and that have to work um, in order for the company to be successful. Um, 
So isn't isn't technology one area where you are really better off leaving it to someone who um, who is an expert who has been in it for 25 years? Um, for example, um, I drive a Mercedes. Something goes wrong with you uh, with it. Um, I can either take it to a technician who really understands this stuff or I can go out and buy a set of wrenches. Um, and I reckon my car would run a lot better with <laughs> with a mechanic than with my wrenches. Isn't it the same sort of thing that it's such a complex and rapidly changing area that it's extremely difficult for a, a, a CEO that's worried about HR, he's worried about 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 financials, he may be um, worried about reporting quarterly results, he's worried about operations and sales and marketing, etc. Isn't technology the one area that um, he really is better off leaving it to an expert? You know, I get this question quite a bit, especially from business leaders where they're saying, look, I just don't have the time to understand these things. Um, and my answer is always, you don't have to understand it at a technical level. You just have to understand it from a business perspective and what the impact is on your business. Um, I'll give you an example. Oftentimes you hear that, or an IT staff will say, we have to upgrade. We have to get new servers. We have to modern. We have to do all these things. And a lot of times the IT staff is looking at doing it for the sake of doing it so they're on the latest and greatest platforms. Yeah. not understanding what impact it's going to have for the business. And so if you're a business leader and you say, okay, I hear you IT staff. I hear that you want to upgrade to the latest version of Windows, for example. Shouldn't you know that there is a potential, especially if you're running custom or specialized software, that doing an upgrade might impact your business. You might find out that your software doesn't work with that, your line of business software doesn't necessarily work with that latest and greatest version of a product. And so you really have to understand how this stuff is going to impact your business. And I'll give you an example. There's a product out there called um, RightFax, and it's an automated faxing system. We had a law firm who used this just constantly. Right. Their lawyers would sit at their desk. They would fax out these things right from their computer. They wouldn't have to get up and print it out and feed it into a fax machine with an automated faxing system. Well, the IT staff decided they were going to upgrade everyone from Windows XP to Windows 7. And so they did. And they got about halfway through and they started getting complaints that, you know, our, our right fax system doesn't work. Well, lo and behold, it wasn't compatible with the latest version of Windows 7 unless they purchased the upgrade. And so now they're looking at yet, they already made one big leap and a huge expense to do that. Now they've got to take another big leap and another expense in software in order just to get the latest. So what was the bottom line? Did it, did it really help the business? And it did not. It did, the bottom line is it didn't help productivity at all. What it did was it's just a huge expense for the organization. So that's an extreme example, but it, it comes down to, again, the, the business leader, instead of just saying, do what you want, I don't understand this stuff, it, you know, it, it is a very practical way of saying, all right, I, how's this going to, how's, how's this upgrade going to impact our, our organization? And what, what are the effects? Are you sure none of the software needs, is going to be uh, affected by doing this? Um, and I equate, you, you, you equated this to being a mechanic, and, and there's a lot of similarities there where you just trust that your mechanic is going to 
you know, tell you that what is wrong with your car is actually what's wrong with your car, as opposed to saying, oh, by the way, your timing, you know, you need, we need a new timing belt on this car, even though you came in for brakes. Yeah. Um, and, and you're not going to know the better, right? You wouldn't know whether or not he's telling you a lie or telling you the truth. So, um, understanding it at some level, you don't under, you know, you don't have to understand how to replace a timing belt, but you may have to understand that, you know what? I just did that a year and a half ago. I'm not going to do it again. Uh, there's no way. Isn't the difference though that one's a one's a contractor, the other one is somebody on staff who you pay a lot of money to be a specialist in the technology area, and if they don't give you the right advice, you fire their ass. But how do you know they're giving you the right advice? Yeah, well, you you have to trust them. But how do you? How do, yeah, okay. Um, now, so. If you're gathering and analysing big data, do I now need a whole floor of mathematical wizards to be able to um, interpret this stuff and work out um, how I can use it and monetize it? Uh, potentially. And this is why I, I, I often tell business leaders they need to start small because if you're not getting a return on in your investment, if you're investing in big data and, you're not, and the results aren't yielding some return on investment, if you're not able to monetize those results, then why do it in the first place? Yep. So, uh, it, again, if you go through the cycle of, you know, rinse and repeat, re, the three A's, if you automate and analyze and you take action and continue to, to evolve that ecosystem, uh, eventually it should pay for itself and hopefully make you money. Um, and let you, allow you to understand your customer, allow you to understand your business and, and all kinds of Okay, well, we're out of time, but I, I must admit that you've convinced me that when my clients want to look at big data, I need to get on the phone to Lloyd Marino and um, and bring him in because it's beyond my level of comprehension and I suspect that it's beyond the level of comprehension of most CEOs or certainly the ones that I deal with. Um, Lloyd, thanks very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. And if you'd like to know more about Lloyd Marino and Aveta Global, A-V-E-T-T-A Global, go to avetaglobal.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Absolutely No Bullshit Business Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. And we're the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs. And this week broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where technology meets entertainment and my hometown for the last 30 years. Now, the world of esports is substantial. We see some extraordinary reports about the popularity of esports. And advertisers are beginning to get in on the action. Now, in addition to revenue sources like subscriptions and donations and sponsorships, event-based ticketing, merchandising, food and beverage and in-game items, 
advertising is the main way that esports monetized. Now, advertisers want to get involved because the viewership numbers are huge. I mean, it, some of these events get 100,000 people and 100 million watching. I mean, it's quite an extraordinary phenomena. And additionally, users spend two hours a day on average watching content. And during competitions, that number grows up to eight, uh, up to, eight to 10 hours a day. So eight to 10 hours a day glued to eSports. And this year, the eSports economy is going to reach nearly $700 million, which is almost a 50% growth from last year. And brands are going to spend over $500 million, $155 million on advertising and $266 million on sponsorship, as well as $95 million on media rights. Consumer spending on tickets and merchandise will be about $65 million, and $116 million is invested by game publishers in the esports industry through partnership deals and white label organisers. Now, for for most game publishers, esports is currently not yet a profitable business, but it's heading that way very fast. The global sport, e- esports um, audience is going to reach 385 million this year, with 191 million of those being fanatics, and a further 194 million being occasional viewers. It is amazing the support however that yet hasn't translated into dollars um, in traditional sports the total revenue per fan is a key indicator of how well a sport is monetized now this encompasses all revenue streams media rights sponsorships consumer spending etc etc now based on audience and revenue expectations for 217 the average revenue per esports fan will be $3.64 this year so $3.64 now this compares to about $75 for each NFL team so $3.64 is against $75 you can see it's still got a hell of a way to go to become a serious mainstream sport but nevertheless um, the movement is um, extremely positive. But even, even if um, eSport goes up tenfold, it's still going to be less than a half of um, the NFL and probably less than 10% of global sports revenues. What it has got going for it is the desirable demographic, 75% of millennials, 18 to 34, and 82% of men. So with millions of young people now not watching traditional television and not seeing traditional advertisements, companies need to engage with younger audiences in other ways. But because this audience is not used to traditional advertising, they're quick to recognise when something's not authentic. So brands have to be very careful to be able to show that they're interested in growing esports rather than just flogging stuff. Now, when done correctly, success can be achieved. Nissan um, launched a holiday campaign on Twitch. The Twitter impressions and chat messages involved the word Nissan were in the millions. And because the campaign was authentic, it succeeded. So 
companies have got huge potential to reach a new audience by dipping into esports, and we're going to see a lot more of this in the future. So although esports might not match or surpass traditional sports anytime soon, its potential business is way too significant to ignore. Okay, I've spoken to you about Atenga.com over the last few weeks and uh, one of the most, the easiest ways to increase your profit significantly is to make sure that your prices are spot on correct and not leave any money at all on the table. And there's a company that specialises in doing just that, Atenga.com, A-T-E-N-G-A.com that is run by my friend Per Sofas, come in, will come into your company and ensure that your prices are taking every dollar off the table without any risk of losing business. And you'll pay for this service in four to six weeks, which means the next 46 weeks of the year, you're going to increase your profit significantly and you'll be way, way, way in front. So if you want to increase your profit and you want to make sure that your prices are spot on without spending a huge amount of money, go to my friend Per Sofas at atenga.com and download a free ebook called Seven Easy Steps to Successfully Increase Your Prices. It's a great read, very simple, very quick. Now, I invite you to go to my uh, website, bobpritchard.com, and enroll for my daily newsletter. It takes just 30 seconds to read. Sometimes it takes a little longer. Um, sometimes it can take you a minute and a half. But it's all up-to-date information on everything that's happening in business in the world, a different topic every day across everything from um, from apps to medical advances to transportation advances to whatever, to personalities. And it's, um, it's a really important read for anybody in business. When you're sitting around the, um, the water cooler having a chat, then you can come across as the most smartest guy in the room. Or if your boss takes you out to dinner, perfect time to show off your knowledge across a huge range of subjects and it's really simple it is free so just go to my website bobpritchard.com and enroll for the newsletter remember if you're not living on the edge you're taking up way too much space you know it's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary anybody can do the ordinary. It takes special people to do the difficult and the impossible. Next week, we'll again be broadcasting from Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, where technology meets entertainment, and I hope that you can join me again. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.